Uh, today's scripture reading comes from Mark uh, 10, verses uh, 13 through 16. And it says, And they were bringing tr- children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. It's a very famous passage, a very famous image of Jesus, of Jesus taking children and embracing them. And today we're going to talk about, if you've been with us, we're in a series on stewardship, and it's part eight of this series. Stewardship means to take care of and manage that which doesn't belong to you, that which really belongs to God, which will answer to God. Most of the time when people hear this term stewardship, I mean, it's not even a word that our our culture really uses much. (laughs) It's one that seems like only Christians seem to be familiar with. But most of the time, people think about stewardship, they think about time, or they think about money, and, and those are the things that we really wrestle with. Most of us feel that we're, we're not very good with handling time, and many of us, you know, we have very great fears about money, and I spent a lot of time in these, in these first seven parts of this series talking about time and then money. But today, I want to talk about one of the most important portions of stewardship, and that is the, the stewardship of people particularly young people, children. Do you think of children as a form of stewardship? The next generation. But actually it is. Because we don't, the children don't belong to us. <laughs> they really belong to God. And we will answer to God of how we, how we raise them up, how we looked after them. How did we help them to see that their life and their purpose and their value were under him, by him, for him, from him? So that's what we're talking about today, what it means to have a stewardship of children and the next generation. I'm going to talk about this in three parts. Part one, Christianity, children, and the next generation. I just want to just highlight for you some portions of the scriptures, how distinct the Bible does look at children and it is very distinct. And a lot of people think, oh, that's just a universal. It's not true. It is not universally agreed upon the way people look at and think about children, right? Part one. Part two, your children and your neighbor's children. We're going to talk a lot about our culture today and some of the deep problems of some of the things that are very amiss and starting to become more and more normal in our culture that's deeply broken, and how we need to think about not only our children, but our children's children, our neighbor's children. And part three, I want to talk to you, just lastly, we always need to come back to the Lord, and especially to the gospel. And I want to talk about that as, I want you to see God as a God of the fatherless who sent his son for us. God of the fatherless, that's part three. The God of the fatherless who sent his son. Now, part one. Christianity, children, and the next generation. Um, just this is text, okay? Jesus, there's these kids who come to Jesus. Uh, kids are a nuisance. They're loud. They're messy. They're annoying. <laughs> and so the disciples hold them back. And it's really interesting. Jesus is indignant. 
Jesus is irritated. Jesus is even kind of angry. And he says, no, no, let them come. Now, those of you who grew up in the church, do any of you, have, uh, do you ever see, do you have seen posters of this? Or maybe you even have something like this in your, a piece of artwork, maybe in your own house, where you have this picture of Jesus and, there's, and he's surrounded by a bunch of children, and it's really a depiction of this set of verses. It's not a lot of verses, but here he is, he's holding children, he's blessing them, he's, 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 he has he has their hands on them, he's embracing them. You ever seen pictures like this? Right? Have you ever seen pictures like this? It's common in, in many churches and in a lot of households, and it tells you, it, it comes deliberately right here from this passage. These few verses is where it comes from. And, and by the way, this set of verses is not only in the Gospel of Mark, it's in, it's in Matthew, it's in Luke. And if this verse, set of verses, is not in the Bible, I dare say to you that our very picture of God would be different. <laughs> and that our very picture of Jesus would be different. Um, this is the one place where it's very explicit that Jesus welcomes and embraces children to himself. And he is, you can see him lovingly lovingly embrace children. And this passage is just, it's not just a sentimental notion of, oh, Jesus likes kids. <laughs> um, I mean, just, it is absolutely important that Jesus likes kids, and it's very important that you understand that the Savior and the leader of this faith, that the world calls a religion of Christianity, absolutely welcomes children to himself. And now just think about this for a second. Is it even conceivable to you, and even non-Christians, I don't think, would even think of this, that Jesus would ever look at a child I'll ever look at a child and dismiss this child. That a Jesus would bully a child. That Jesus would push back a child and make the child feel like he's not worth much. Or that, that you're not anything because you're not smart enough or pretty enough or strong enough or interesting enough. The things that are just normal and happen every day in our society, that this verse basically says, no, this is not the way Jesus looks at young people. So even though, um, I just, I'm just wanting you to see this, this very seemingly very nice little picture isn't so nice, Jesus likes little kids. That's true, but it goes far deeper than this. Hmm? Um, let me just share with you just how, how prevalent it is in the just scriptures. I'm just going to give you just a few verses. Let me blitz through a few verses from all over the scriptures. How much the Bible cares about the next generation. Right? Just, so just a few here. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Is this the way we think about kids in our culture today? <laughs> train up the way the child should go. But that there's something in his character, that is the goal, that when he is old, that when he is old, there'll be something in his character that is so deep he won't depart from this. That's the goal, according to Scripture, of wisdom in Proverbs. But that's not the way we think. We think, train up the child in their math and in their business skills and in writing good essays and getting really good SAT scores or being really strong or really fast so they can make the football team. They can make a lot of money in the future. They can make me look good so they can have a so-called rich life. But that's not the way the Bible puts it at all. In fact, the Bible never talks about any of those things. But it does say, when they are old, they will not depart from it because it will be so deeply ingrained in their character and their heart. How about this? Ephesians 6, very different book, very different set of horizons and focused in Proverbs, but here's what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline is a, is a word that our culture doesn't like. 
We think that if we're just really nice to every child, that we can get them to do what we want them to do, but we know it, t- it takes more than that. But it's actually not just discipline. They need discipline and they needed instruction while we don't provoke them to anger. Three very important pieces of wisdom that we need to all hold together. That we're actually drawing them. You can't just say, just do it my way and then they get angry at you. Actually, now we must be humble and then give them an instruction which makes sense to them and then give them a formation which disciplines them. Disciplines their mind and their hearts and their habits and their time. These are all parts of it. Hmm? Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Tremendously important text. And I've preached on this multiple times in our church. But um, just to just, to just lift this up portion. Here Moses commands all of Israel how they're supposed to take the commands and the word of God and how you're supposed to deal with the, um, relate to your children. This is what he says. You shall teach the commands and God's word to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So when are you supposed to do this? When are you supposed to do this? (laughs) When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, you're supposed to share of the wisdom, the will, the beauty, the glory, the gospel, all the time. It should just be the normal warp and woof conversations in the morning, in the evening. It just should just be wrapped into how we talk and how we think. But that's not how we do it either, is it? Most of us, we outsource, we outsource the, the Jesus stuff to the pastors or to one hour of Sunday school on, on, on Sunday morning. This is the way we think. And we hope, we hope that maybe they get enough of God and then we're surprised that when they hit 18 years old, they're like, sayonara, I'm going to go party with my, with my buds. And some of you guys know firsthand what that's like. Right? And, uh, but that's not the way the Lord put, um, puts it. Um, one more. Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Lest they become discouraged. Um, many of you... Uh, you're adults now. Some of you have been adults a long time. You get a little older. <laughs> um, and maybe you've forgotten what it's like, what it's, forgotten what it's like to be a child, to, know, to not know lots of things, to not know who you are, not know what you're going to be like, and how easy it is to be discouraged. Hmm? How very easy it is to be discouraged. By words, words of significant adults. How about, the, how about just facial expressions? And easy little dismissive comments that we sometimes make. And children sometimes hear them and see them. And then, do you remember those particular times when your teacher may just looked at you and, just, and you're just like, wow, well, I guess I'm nobody. Hmm? When a coach thought you weren't much. When your dad said things that, that was just made you fearful. Hmm? When you think about these things. Now let me go back to um, the Mark text. This is the way Jesus puts it. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. I mean, in these few little things, it seems so simple. And we we love that picture of Jesus with the the little kids um, and embracing them. But just listen to the things he says. Do not hinder them. Do you know how, uh, um, when when I go to churches these days, um, and after I, I chewed on this, And the more I understand that the church has a tremendous stewardship for the next generation, 
And when I look at the way churches mostly look at children and the way we treat children's ministry, the way we treat youth ministry, the way we even structure our very buildings, um, do you know that the, the normal warp and woof of most churches hinders children? <laughs> um, most, just let me just think of this. If you get up in the morning and you, before you even go to church, if you treat church like a religion, if you treat Christianity like a chore, like this thing that you got to do, like eating, eating your peas and eating your spinach, you know you've already hindered your children. You're the church. <laughs> um, there's a church I visited uh, a couple years ago when I went to their conference. They took a whole wing of a building and they utterly transformed that whole building to say, children, welcome to an exciting place where God is alive. And they just put, they put artwork. <laughs> they made it attractive for kids. I mean, in some ways, it was almost like, man, they created almost like a little Disneyland. <laughs> and you know what? Um, I don't know if I, w- I would want us to exactly everything that they did, but their heart, they wanted to say, there'll be no hindrances for you to come and meet Jesus in our church. Just all the different ways that we put hindrances. Um, the way we think about it is a series of rules and, to, and do's and don'ts. And so there, the, the way Jesus puts it. And um, how about just verse 15? Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Um, there's a lot of uh, speculation upon what that verse means. And of course it means, oh, you know, we all need to be like little children before God. And, God, and, and that's true. It's absolutely true. Um, you may think you're a sophisticated and very smart and strong adult, but before Almighty God, if you don't understand, you are like a weak little child who, who, who knows less than a child compared to mom and dad. That's true, but that's not, even the, that's not all that even this, this verse says. When I read this verse, I also see things like this. Do you know that the vast majority of people, when, if they come to Jesus and become born again by the Holy Spirit through the gospel, do you know that that happens roughly in the first 20 years? Most people are open to the things of God and to the things of the deep questions of life only when they have the humility when they're young. But right around the age of 20, something starts to happen. They start thinking, I'm my own person. I've got my own wisdom. I'm going to do the things that are real. And the things that are real happen to be things about money and power and success. All these things of the glories of the world start to seep into the heart at the age Oh, roughly about 20, 21, 22. And that actually, that the, those first 20 years, the majority of people come to God in those first 20 years. And then after that, you know what has to happen? After that, God has to break us. <laughs> God has to be merciful through suffering. For so many people, they don't come to faith as an adult until, until uh, they're wrecking their marriage. <laughs> There's lots of people I've met, they don't come to faith until after they're divorced. There are lots of people that I met that don't come to faith until they have cancer or until, they're, until or they're, they're a loved one has cancer. Or there's a big recession and then they're, they're, they become financially wrecked. And their wisdom and their resources and their righteousness and their plans have to be broken after the age of 20. But below the age of 20, their hearts are still open and they're soft and they're willing to receive. 
And that's part of what this passage is saying too. And will we take that seriously? When I look at every church, do you know that most churches don't really invest a whole lot into their children's ministry and their youth ministry? A lot of churches think, they look at what's the important ministry? The stuff that happens with the adults. That's the varsity ministry. That stuff that happens over there with the kids, those happens over there with the youth group, that's junior varsity. But actually, I don't think Jesus looks at it that way at all. If actually, if we're going to be wise, that when people are young, in a lot of ways, that may be the varsity ministry. We're oftentimes junior varsity because the Lord is really wooing. He's wooing us all, but we're so hard-hearted and so prideful when we become adults. God has to do harder things to us. That's the way that's... So just sharing with you some of this way how tremendously important it is that we think about children, young people, and the next generation. And this is a stewardship for all of us from the Bible. Now, let me go to um, part two of my message. Your children and your children's children. Okay? There is a, a place early in the Bible where there's Adam and Eve. They sin. The whole world is going, you know, now just gone and is fallen. The very first stewardship of the next generation has now happened. They're, they have two sons, a guy named Cain and Abel. And you know what happens right away? Failure of stewardship <laughs> of the next generation. So what happens is, Cain looks at his brother, and you know what he does to him? And for those of you who, who may not know the story, he murders him. <laughs> and when God calls Cain and he says, hey, where's your brother Abel? You know what he says? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And what I'll say to you today is, I know today is a big message, and some of what I'm going to talk about to you today is going to feel like a huge burden, and it is. We are our brother's keeper, and we are the keeper of our brothers and our sisters, sons and our daughters. That the stewardship of children is not even just moms and dads looking after their own kids, although that is the most obvious way to think about it. This pertains not only to you. Now, just, so I want to just say to you, first of all, I am talking to you moms and dads. I want to say to you first, stewardship <laughs> means your kids are not your kids. <laughs> I want you to say that to you. That sounds really strange. Your kids don't only ultimately belong to you. They belong to God. And it's a stewardship. It's a stewardship. You don't own them. You are accountable to God because he, he owns them and he wants them. And by the way, and for all those of you who are single, it is not even, and you're like, I'm single or I don't have kids. I don't even know if I'll ever have kids. Is this only belong to you? This is, the, the stewardship is children of your friends and neighbors. And we are here to look after them too. And by the way, if we're going to really be pleasing to the Lord, there's no way we can only do this by ourselves, even as moms and dads. We can't outsource this to the youth parents. You cannot outsource the raising of your children even to your local school teachers and principals. It can't. You can't. It has to be a communal activity. We must do this together. And in fact, it's just way too big for any one of us to do ourselves. We need each other. Right? We absolutely need our, each other. Um, there's a lot of things I don't agree with Hillary Clinton on, <laughs> but she wrote this famous book called It Takes a Village. Um, let me agree with her and disagree with her. It does take a village. It actually takes a whole city. It takes a whole culture. It takes neighbors. 
and families, working together, trusting each other, respecting each other, encouraging each other, even at times rebuking each other. Hmm? These are the whole web of relationships. And this isn't just for me, it is for the next generation. Because the, if we don't think of it this way, guess what? The world we leave them will crush them. And then our grandchildren will be even so much worse off. This is the way it works. Hmm? And so many nations and cultures around the world, whether you know this or not, they're wrecking it. They're wrecking it right now. I'll just tell you right now, in so many nations and cultures, our grandchildren are not going to be in a good place. And God is not going to be pleased. And so... I'm going to talk about a multi, I'm going to talk about uh, I'm going to hit on certain issues that are really important in our culture right now, and um, and it's going to, these are big issues, they're controversial issues, they're raw issues, they don't even and they, they divide us politically, but it's not even about politics here. It's not even about left and right because I have critiques on both sides today, right? But um, so just to, this first part, parents, their kids don't belong to you. And by the way, all of us, it isn't even just, okay, I'm, I'm, you can't just make this little special little garden where your kids are going to be super safe. You're going to send them to exactly the right schools. It's good to write, pick good schools. But actually, we even need, we need neighbors. Neighbors who aren't even Christians. Some of the wisdom, some of the righteousness, some of the kindness, we need this from non-Christian principles. And neighbors... You know why we're even afraid to send our kids out? Because we don't even think our neighbors watch after our kids, so we're afraid to let our kids play in our streets. That's, that's the problem. That's a stewardship issue. Hmm? So just imagine if you just at least knew your next-door neighbor, this neighbor, that neighbor, that, and just the people on your street, right then they would be willing to let their kids go play in the street. You'd be let your, right there, stewardship. Hmm. Hmm. Um, let me just talk about some of these issues. Uh, you know, the, the whole world stumbles over this, these problems. In the ancient world, kids, basically, even in, even in, um, in, in um, Israel, that probably valued kids more than so many other religions and nationalities, kids were basically seen as not very powerful. Until you hit bar mitzvah, you weren't much. In in Sparta, basically, if your baby was weak, they'd kill this kid. <laughs> That's what they would do. He's not going to become a great warrior. We care about warriors. This kid ain't going to make it as a warrior. He's ignored or killed as a baby. In Athens, if the child didn't look like he had artistic gifts and wasn't smart, because Athens liked the smart and the artistic and the philosophical. They were lovers of wisdom. So then, guess what? Those kids were ignored. <laughs> Oh, you're the dumb kid in school. You're not much. And you know, this, this is the way the whole world has worked, but actually, the West in some ways has changed, but we're, we're starting to become pagan again. More and more, that was the ancient world and so many other cultures, this, we just align them according to our values, and if they don't measure up according to their values, then this is the way this works. But in, in this contemporary world in the West, there's this kind of schizophrenia. On the one hand, we said every child is valuable and we have to, we have to uh, nurture every child. And you know where? I want to just say something to you. You know where this idea comes from? It does not come 
just because we're all universal good people because most cultures don't think this way. And most cultures in history have not thought this way. You know, like preschool, do you know that universal public education, you know who invented these things? Christians. You know why they invented these things? Because there's passages like this, like some of the ones I quoted to you in the Bible. And we have a lot of great things in our culture. But even still, on that, I think those are parts of a biblical heritage, which is good. And I hope it's spreading throughout the world. But on the other hand, there are a lot of problems. That if the child doesn't immediately, you know, is, is valuable to us, more and more we're starting to shunt these children aside. And it comes up in lots of different kinds of ways. If a child, isn't, if a child is handicapped, oh, you know, they become a nuisance. So we're very kind of schizophrenic on that issue. Children that aren't born, if they are not wanted in our culture, we get rid of them. So a lot less adoptions than there used to be. So these are some of the issues that where we are in our, in our culture. And there's a lot of deep depredations and problems that are starting to happen. Um, as I look around, as I look around uh, we really are sliding away from the love and care and really the respect for young people. Um, one that, 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 that really is really disturbing to me these days, and I want to share with you, and I want you guys to have eyes for this too. Um, do you notice the clothes that get marketed to young girls these days? And you, know, you guys ever watch uh, music videos? I personally hate watching music videos, um, and I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, a pop culture dweeb, but every now and then I read about or hear about a certain song, and I hear about certain music videos, and so then I go on YouTube and I'll watch it, and the exploitation towards sex is just getting younger and younger and younger in our society. And it's not just America. There is, just, there is a child sex trade around the world. And it is starting to seep into our country. And it's seeping into our country through the internet and through marketing and through music. And it's just, it's just slowly, slowly starting to become normal. And we're starting to become numb to these things. Right? These are dangerous, dangerous developments. And, and it comes in in lots of other, in, in, in other dangerous ways. Um, children, year in, year out, in the public schools, are taught that essentially they're accidental pieces of chemicals. And you don't think that at some point along the line that they swallow that and say, well, I don't know if there's a real heaven, I don't know if there's a real hell, but I am an accidental molecule that gets to run my own life and that's all there is. These are parts of the next generation issues too. Um, <clears throat> I want you to think about this, um, of, of the way we think about there are all these issues that are starting to seep into our lives. And I know this just seems overwhelming. Pastor, you're, you're like asking us to change the world, fix the world. Um, so let me talk about another hot button issue. Education. A number of you parents really wrestle with this question. How should I educate my child? And you know, Christians are really divided about this. Some hate the public schools. Uh, politically, we're divided about this. We resent public schools. Um, it is a real mixed bag. 
On the one hand, I absolutely believe that public schools are invented by Christians because we really do believe every child must be given a chance. That all their gifts must be given a chance to arise. And if you've ever gone to just a dirt poor country where children don't get educated, I mean, it is just a stark difference. It's an unbelievable stark difference. And all these, uh, these societies where there's tremendous poverty, you know one of the things that they absolutely long for? They long for school. <laughs> They long for school. But just in our neighborhood alone, in our cities alone, how do Christians often think about schools? Well, I don't like my local public school, so you know what we're going to do? Our solution for this is just move. <laughs> the problems are so big and so deep, let's just move. So if you can afford, and in our, in our city, there are certain schools that are good, and then there are certain schools that are not considered good, and then guess what? All the people who have money move to the school districts where that are good. And then guess what happens? All the people that can't afford it are stuck with the schools that are lousy. And, and then most of, the, most of the Christians, we ignore this issue. We ignore this issue. So somewhere along the line, I do think we can't only have the public schools. I absolutely think there needs to be competition for schools. There, I, I'm, I, because you, you name it. Is there a homeschool? I'm for it. <laughs> Charter school? I'm for it. <laughs> uh, different kinds of private schools? I'm for it. Because nobody has a monopoly on how to do this. And guess what? There's different kinds of children that have different types of needs. Um, some of you guys know that I, we have three children. I send two of them to uh, private school, private Christian school. But one of them goes to public school, and I'm glad to do so. Next year after my son finishes eighth grade, guess what? I'm going to send them back to public school. Because I don't think there's a silver bullet. It isn't private school or public school or even homeschooling, and I've done all three. <laughs> but all of it, one way or another, must be brought back toward this issue. And so I'm asking you, please don't just think, okay, I'm going to line up with the Republicans on this issue, or I'm going to line up with the Democrats on this issue. Because quite frankly, some of them are right on this, and some of them are wrong on this. Some of them are right on this, some are wrong on this. But actually, and all of them don't understand that really the church, the church must be an alternative community, and we have to have something else to say. Hmm? Now, um, I've, I've talked about a lot, how your kids go play outside, how we rear the next children. Um, I've talked about, I've made you feel bad if you don't care about children's ministry. And this is a heavy message. I know there's a lot of guilt, Right? And, but let me just throw this out at you. Um, it really starts with faith. It starts with a desire to, as our brother John said, to obey. And it, it really starts with God by the Holy Spirit saying the word of God, this Jesus who embraces children, is bigger than how smart we're going to be in our systems. First, it starts here. And... Um, and nowhere is it really so powerful to me as I, as, I, as I told. Some of you may have heard this story. You know what? Just, just first, even just marriages. You know where you could just start? We can contribute to marriages. That's a huge issue. Even just marriage. What is marriage? That is, that is deeply contested in our culture. And there's whole issues about homosexuality. That we are on the precipice of becoming a society where by the very understanding of marriages, we're going to consign lots of children to not grow up with a mother and a father. That's, that's where we're at. 
But just this. I just, let me just offer this to you. Um, there's a brother that I know I deeply respect. His name is John Freeman. And John Freeman's come to our church and gave a, um, gave a, uh, a seminar earlier this year. And John Freeman leads a ministry called Harvest USA. And Harvest USA is one of the most important ministries in our country that helps people as they wrestle with homosexuality and porn addiction and other kinds of sexual sins. But many of you guys don't know where, where, uh, John Freeman's background. I had breakfast with John Freeman a number of years ago. And John Freeman used to have stacks of, of, of gay pornography in his, uh, in his, in his apartment. And one day he started reading the Bible, and he encountered Jesus, not even through church, because he didn't even, <laughs> he was like, church, I, I don't even know if I could go there. But just by reading the Bible, he became a Christian, and then he started going to church, and of course he didn't tell anybody that he has gay pornography. One day he started going to church. It was a relatively small church, probably not much bigger than our church. There was a deacon in his church, invited him to his house for dinner. John went over to his house for dinner. John came from a broken family. He never saw what a decent marriage can look like. And at that dinner, he developed, over time, this deacon at the church started to befriend him. And he said, I went to that dinner, and then I started going to multiple other dinners, and I never told him that I got gay porn in my house. He said, but that was the first time in my life I actually saw a good marriage. And I knew that that's, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And I knew that was the way it was supposed to be. I knew that was from God. I looked at the kids. I looked at the husband. I looked at the, the wife. They, they didn't preach at me. Okay? They didn't give me a bunch of theology. They just were obedient. And they lived a certain way by grace and kindness. And now today, John Freeman is the leader of a ministry that is making that difference. I mean, that's wild. How would you have ever even known that? Maybe one of these days, you might have a John Freeman. He might be 15 years old. He might be 15 years old. And so please, you have a friend. Your children have friends. And this is, good. This is really very real in the Bay Area. Right? You may have a friend. Your child may have a friend. Brings a friend over. And the friend is a girl who's kind of butch. Or a boy who's very, let's just say, effeminate. And are you going to say, how will you react? Let's say you meet this child's parents. And this child has two dads. How will you react? Will you freak out? Will you get angry? Will you reject? But let me just offer this to you. How about kindness? How about respect? How about mercy? How about grace? Because we were once lost, too. Right? And just show them. And we'll see. And maybe their 15-year-old son might be tomorrow's John Freeman. One last piece of wisdom that I want to offer you before I go to the final portion of my message, part three. 
I was listening to a podcast this week, as I like to do. It's a news, Christian News Digest, the world and everything in it. And they was giving some um, parenting and uh, advice, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm preaching on <laughs> stewardship of next generation. Sorry, I listened to this. And they were interviewing James Dobson, who's one of the most famous teachers about, you know, he leads a very famous ministry called Fam- Focus on the Family. It's a radio program that's internationally famous. And it was an interview with him and his son, James and Ryan Dobson. And they gave a piece of advice that actually James Dobson listened, learned from another famous Bible teacher from a previous generation, a guy named Josh McDowell. And I want to just share this with you. It's this. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Right? Rules without relationship lead to... I like those three R's. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. A lot of us think, you know, we know kids need rules. This is how you brush your teeth. This one you should eat. This one you should... All that stuff, right? And don't talk back to me like that, right? Um, but actually, if they don't have your heart... And by the way, they don't just need relationships with mom and dad. They need a coach. And they need teachers. And, not, and they need spiritual brothers and sisters. And they actually need really good non-Christian you know, friends. And we need, to be, we need to be blessing them and gracing them. Rules without relationship. So that the rules aren't just there, but they're conveyed by your heart. And as grace comes into your heart by believing this gospel, then that is what brings off rebellion. For the world is full of people with rebellion. And us too. And that means we're lost without a father. Which takes me to the final portion of my message. This is the gospel. Every week... I always culminate every message. Because I know that most of this message, today especially, <laughs> I laid on you a heavy burden. Right? I laid on you a heavy burden. But today, as I close this message, I want to show you the pathway so that burden can be made light and taken off of you. And the only way to do that is not to see the rules and not to see the problems and not to see all my obligations. You must just see God. Here's the way the gospel presents our God. God says in much of the Bible, he says this repeatedly in the Old Testament, I'm a father to the fatherless. And when he looks at the whole world, you know that God, he sees all these kids. We live in a society that's increasingly fatherless. Divorce, divorce just right there, boom. Makes kids grow up without, a, without relationship. There's rules, but no relationship to their dad. Huh? And so then they become rebellious, and we wonder why there's so many broken and angry people in our society. Huh? But it isn't just people who come from broken homes. Deep down, if you only have the rules, but you don't have the relationship with the most important father there is, God, then deep in your heart, we're just filled with lostness and rebellion. And God came. Much of the Bible gave us the rules, but he didn't just leave us with the rules. He came to give us the relationship. And he sent his son, 
And here he is. This is what he looks like. He went on the cross so that all our failure to be good fathers and mothers and teachers and coaches and spiritual aunts and uncles and to even just care about these little ones in our midst, that that could be forgiven on the cross. And this remarkable person receiving and embracing little children, that isn't just a man. He himself is the very heart of a God who calls himself a father to a fatherless. And if you don't know that relationship, you're fatherless and you're bereft. Would you run to him? And even if you are a son and a daughter, today, let me ask you, take off the little rules and religiosity and go and run to your father in the heart of Jesus. Let that be inside of you first before and as we go and look at the young people around us so that a whole new heavenly culture, it, a whole new grace supernatural culture arose at that dinner table between that deacon and his wife and John Freeman. And bit by bit, this incredible supernatural counterculture by grace can arise into a dying and dark, broken land through you and me, to the family that we call the church, through our young ones, like Kevin and Hudson and and Theo, (laughs) and all the other little ones in our church. Let's pray. Father, I know it seems incredible to think Lord, we have, um, we have John Freemans in our midst. John Freeman might be sitting in our church. Tomorrow's John Freeman. Tomorrow's uh, wise principles. Um, it's hard, I know, sometimes to look at uh, a 10-year-old snotty kid and think, actually, tomorrow he's going to be the superintendent of our schools. <laughs> that woman, she's going to be our mayor That 15-year-old kid is going to be handling our taxation and our public policy. These kids next door, they're going to be the spiritual aunts and uncles that raise my grandchildren, that influence them. And the world that will be set, will it be a world bereft of you as father, where Jesus is nothing and children are crushed? Lord, we pray that you would reshape this world through us and you would call us to this incredible stewardship, the mission to the next generation, that the gospel, so big and so great, would have power, and even in small ways, just through marriages, through kindness, through neighborly love, that in a very, very lost and pagan city, you can be seen. And this Jesus can be met. Help us to do this. Help us do this Friday at Gift. Help us to do this as we just even think about all our little, little ones. And all of us take on this mantle to love not only our children, but our neighbors and our friends' children's children. 
because you have loved us first like a father to the fatherless. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.